0: Right, awesome. So once again, I'm excited. I'm excited to be up here. I'm excited to preach to you guys. Um, today's sermon is gonna feel like it's got two two points to it, two major points, and there's gonna be a bunch of points within it. Um, I really enjoy apologetics, and if you don't know what apologetics are, they're trying to defend your faith. Uh that's one of the biggest things that I try to teach my students is how they can interact with the world and talk about their faith with them. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. I'm going to do a little spiel beforehand, and then we'll get into it. But first, uh, if anybody, everybody would turn to Psalms 1, 1, and 2 and stand uh, for the reading. I'll give you guys some time to look that up. Alright, she you guys are there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and His law he meditates day and night. Dear Lord, I thank You for this wonderful day. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for bringing everybody here today to hear this message. Um, please allow yours to speak through me and not mine. In your holy name, amen. 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 All right, in Psalms 1, uh, we read about the ideal Bible reader. Um, it's someone who meditates on the Scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word for meditate is Hagah. And it's to to murmur in pleasure or anger. Imagine, meditate, mourn, mutter, roar, soar, speak, study, talk, or utter. Literally, it means to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself. And then go talk about it with your friends pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it means, what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens: the Bible starts to read you, because ultimately the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your as your story. That's from um, Tim Mackey. He is the uh, the creator of the Bible Project. And what he has done is he's created videos for students, because right, there's some people that they're, they're oral readers and some people are visual learners. I am both. I like to read and I like to visualize. And this is him talking about ancient Jewish meditation literature, which when you're reading the Old Testament, the Old Testament is meant to be read from beginning to end. And while you read it, the story comes alive to you and starts becoming real to you. It starts adding to itself as you go along. I don't know if you've ever read the beginning of Genesis, um, but it's very vague. You know, you read those first 11 chapters and it's like there's a lot of stuff you can plug in and out of there, and that is why we're going to be talking about the crumbling foundation of our faith. And where I think some, most of the time it starts. So do you do this in your life? Do you meditate on the word? Do you take every single day, pick that thing up and read it and envelop your life into it? I have failed at this. I know I have. I'm, what you would, I'm not consistent with it. I'm what you would call a, um, a binge reader or a binge consumer. I will suck in a lot of information at one time and then you can talk to the guys, uh, Pastor Clay and Don and Jim in the office, and I'm just exploding on them with the information that I, that I get. And sometimes they look at me like, all right, Levi, just be quiet. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm exploding this information because I've regurgitated, I've thought about it, and I'm giving it to other people. And I do the same thing with the Word of God. I do it with my students. When sometimes we can, one subject, we can spend 45 minutes with my students talking about that one subject. And they want me to be quiet. <laughs> However, I, I hope to become better at meditating every day in my life. And I urge my students to do it all the, all the, all the time. Um, so the foundation of our faith has faced many challenges and debates over time. However, I know that the foundation of the faith that I'm speaking of is probably different than what you think it is. The foundation of our faith starts in the first 11 chapters... Of Genesis. There is so much truth that comes from Genesis that's, that is attacked on a daily basis by non Christians. And even Christians in the church have adopted things that are not right. Um, in these 11 chapters lies the beginning of many answers to questions that I am generally asked by my students. There are certain questions or issues that need to be responded to from the foundation of the Word of God. The issues I speak of are gender, abortion, marriage, death and suffering. Can all the conversation and the answers can be started in the first 11 books of the Bible. The word and even an infiltration in our the world and even an infiltration in our church has started to look at the first 11 chapters as a historical myth and not a historical fact or truth. Also when we read the Bible we read it in context of now instead of how context of then. We try to put our own thoughts and beliefs into the Bible when we need to allow the Bible to tell us what it's saying. There's, and real quick, I'm going to go through some lies that are placed within Genesis 1-11. through 11. These lies have been placed there by the world and lies that have been placed and brought in by Christians. Millions of years have been inserted before Adam. God uses evolution to create all the animals. Adam and Eve are only a representation of the overall humankind and not historical figures in history. Noah's flood was only a central flood and not a global flood. These are just a short list of things that are attacking the foundation of our faith. The dismissal of the Tower of Babel as the event that started the different ethnic groups we see today. They just want to say it's some sort of myth. Oh, this is a myth. This is how we got our languages. No, it's truth. We should believe the Bible as truth. There's also been a destruction within the church uh, of Noah's Ark by the church and its depiction of the Ark. This is what you normally see. All these happy little animals sticking their heads out, you know. This is what, from, from grade school, what you've been told the ark looks like. And what it's depicted. But we need to change that in our church. We need to change how we teach our students and how we teach them about the truth. One, there's too many animals of the same kind. And I'm not talking about, you know, you're like, oh, you've got too many tigers in there. I'm talking about you've got a lion and a tiger in there. There was only one of the cat kind there. You've got a coyote and a dingo. There would only be one dog there. You also have adult animals shown on there, and it would have been either adolescents, young animals, or the smaller version of these animals. And I know, and then there's no dinosaurs on the ark. Oh, yes, there was. Don't let evolution tell you anything different. Ark is small compared to what it actually was this thing was huge and if you've never seen the ark encounter i've never been to it but i've been able to see some of the stuff online it is one of the greatest things to truly show fact and and proving the the first 11 books of the bible one of the the key stories people want to poke and prod at this they want to poke and, and remove these things from that. This is just a small list of many issues that have been brought up over time. These are small issues that have continued by setting aside truth and the laziness to not truly meditate on the Word has destroyed our biblical foundation and has been replaced by a, a, a world religion and its views. Uh, Ken Ham uh, is the, the director of the Ark Encounter and he's one of my, I listen to a lot of his stuff, and he says, and it makes a lot of sense, there are only two religions in this world. It's God's Word or man's Word. Because you have to have faith that there is no God. You have to put full belief in the fact that there is no God that has created this world. And you're just believing that it was put here by random. So now we're going to dive into some of these things and how Scripture teaches about these. Abortion and the value of life. In Genesis 1, 25-27, and verse 1, it says, "...and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good." male and female He created them. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Real quick, I forgot to add this in there. But did you know that when they're going through the creation story, and it comes to this moment, this is the one moment, and there is a distinction, because right here it says that God in 25 we back up you can see at the end it says that that it was good God in the scripture it always ends each day with and it was good God called it good but he separates on this day animals from man animals from his image on this end And he says it was very good. In the literal transla- or in the Hebrew translation, it was good, good. It was good, good. It was very good. We were very good to God. We were created to be set apart. We were created to be loved. Literally, the, the word for image is Salem, and it means likeness or resemblance of God's making in His own image. This is, there is a distinction or divide made here between man, God's image bearers, and animals. The image of God discussion is so deep and so important, I wish we could dive into it, but it would overtake this message that I have today about how important we are as the image of God. And that image of God is displayed In the infant, in the creation of them. But there's one thing I want to leave you with: the image of God. In Exodus it says, "You now you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for the Lord your God, for for I, the Lord your God." I am a jealous God. There's two things, there's two reasons that God says this. One, there is nothing on earth that can truly represent God. By carving images to worship God, we would be creating an alternate connection to Him. And the second is that God has already made an image of Himself, and that is us. Not that we are to be worshipped, but that we are to be representatives here on earth and our worship points to Him. As the image bearers of God, we are to point to God. As the image bearers of God, we are to point to His majesty in our lives. And remember, it's not that we are to be worshipped, because we do that on a, on, a, on a daily basis when we choose to do things our own self. In reference back to creation and animals and and humans, evolution theorists have put animals and humans together. They have taken away the image of God. They have taken away the image of God and placed us as animals. That's why it's so easy for people to say, oh, it's just a clump of cells. Oh, it's it's not really a human being. That's where they've destroyed it. They've taken away the image of God because they do not believe in this Scripture. They do not believe that we were created. They just believe we were random happenstance. And then when we come to the conversation of gender and marriage, these are things that I have to talk to my students about on a regular basis. This is the topic we've spent almost two to three hours all together talking about this with my students. And it's so important that they get this point. In Genesis, we're going to kind of skip around a little bit. Um, in Genesis two eighteen, then the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should look should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him." Now in nineteen through twenty, it says God made you know different animals for Adam, and Adam made names. He made names for them. He brought all the animals to him and God was trying to find him a helper. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now that word helper means to support, to come alongside, to guide through life, to be there with each other. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is so important that we look at this Scripture and we say that this is the basis for what marriage should be. This is the basis for what we should teach our children. Some people in this world want to say that Jesus never really spoke about gender or marriage or anything like that. He didn't, he didn't talk about homosexuality. Yes, He did. He pointed to it. The Pharisees even asked Him. In Matthew 19, 3-8, it says, And, and Pharisees came up to Him. By the way, they were testing, and they tested Him by asking is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? There is his distinction. There's Jesus saying, only two, right there. He laid down the law for him and said, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and leave his mother and hold fast to his wife. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father, Yeah, sorry. and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And including the people in that relationship. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And here's the important thing that Jesus says. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the ge- beginning, it was not so. Now I know that there, there's, there's divorce, and you know, people of divorce in here, but I believe God can bring redemption to marriages. He can bring redemption. He can bring... Sometimes we make those choices as a sinner to marry someone. That God brings us someone else that's supposed to be in our lives. And I believe God can redeem through those things. But what this is really speaking of is that we should try in our marriages, we should strengthen within our marriages, we should live in these times. And then we come to death and suffering. This is a big discussion that I have with my kids. I, it was really funny. I actually had on uh, this last Wednesday we were having the back-to-school bash. And one of my kids, uh, Lucky, came up and he asked me, you know, if we have a God, why does He allow all this suffering in this world? Why does He allow this to happen? In Genesis 3, 6-7 through 7, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. You know, She chose to see that she was good for food. And then it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I'm going to stop real quick. Men, stop blaming women for putting sin in the world because the man was standing right there and saw her do it. He was probably standing there like, hey, all right, let's, let's watch. Let's see what happens. Is she going to drop dead? Is she going to have it? No, it didn't happen. you'd <laughs> you probably like, really? That's what's supposed to happen. All right, give me that thing. And so when she didn't die, she didn't kill her. Of course, they didn't understand that. They didn't understand that the real death was that they wouldn't live eternally in the Garden of Eden at that time. But still, you can you, I'm telling you, you know, the man's just sitting there waiting for it to happen. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Within that one conversation, you can tell someone about why there's death and suffering. You can look at it and say it was because of the choice and the free will of people that we have death and suffering in this world. It was because of this choice... We can choose to follow God. We can choose to bathe ourselves into, into this conversation, into this story. We can choose to come in and read Scripture and truly allow it to dictate our lives. This may be one uh, you know the most. Uh, you know, the death and the suffering. You, you may know this truthfully. There's a great picture... You know, Genesis two, no, it's supposed to be Genesis three. I'm sorry, Genesis three. This people taking and using their own decisions, using their own worldly knowledge, is repeated throughout the story of the gospel, throughout the story of God's redemption. The Israelites continued to come back to this point where they were given a choice: follow God's way or follow my way. And they continually messed it up until Jesus was placed on the scene to take it away and give us a new opportunity. They continued to go until this climactic point where Jesus comes. And this is where we tend to start when Jesus comes. This is where we tend to start the conversation with with anybody. Now don't get me wrong. When it comes to our Christian faith, the cross is what brings people. The cross, the redemption of God, is what brings them and makes them feel like they belong. Him giving His life for all helps them be accepted to that. But when it comes to bringing up our Christian students, when it comes to bringing up our families, when it comes to bringing up these people, we need to start with, at the beginning and teach them everything. We need to start at the beginning and teach them truth. They need to know that these stories are real. Because if you start attacking the foundation of our faith, eventually you will get someone that comes and they're attacking attacking like, oh, there's there's no flood. That's just a myth. That couldn't have really happened. You know, it was a big rock coming through the sky and it killed all the dinosaurs. That one won't have dinosaurs. You know, Adam and Eve, they weren't really real. It's just a representation of man. It's it's not that. And these are things that Christians are saying. But if you attack the foundation and you make it crumble, it is easier to crumble the cross. It is easier for them to take out the cross if they're taking out our foundation. If they're trying to disprove That these are facts, and these are what we believe. Are you wanting to be a part of this gospel story, the good news? Because it is not finished. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts. But it doesn't end like, oh, and they live happily ever after. Or, oh, you know, this is how it ends. Yes, we know Revelation. We know the final ending. But we don't know the whole story. Because we are living acts right now. You can look through our history and our redemption story, and it is continuing on today. And every single one of you guys have a choice. Are you going to treat this Bible as like a rule book or magic answers to life's questions? Or are you going to allow this book to change who you are? To envelop you in your life? Are you going to allow it to change and dictate who you are? Because that's what it can do. Are you ready to join the story of the Gospel and how this congregation of believers is going to add to that story? Do you want to be a part of that? That is your choice. But it comes when we know the truth and we can defend our faith. It comes when we can get into the Word of God and explain our faith to our friends, our family, and those around us. But if you are not meditating on the Word, if you are not stepping into the story of the Gospel, and allowing yourself to be a part of it, then all you're going to be able to do is post cool verses on Facebook and Instagram And yay, it's all good today. And that's how I feel like sometimes when people post, like, okay, do you know the full context of that verse? Are you living that verse out? Is that verse enveloping your life? Don't be wrong. I love seeing verses on stuff. But my first question is do you believe that verse? I'm going to ask David to come up. We're going to have a time of invitation. Pastor Clay, would you like to leave the invitation? This is your time if you want to come and pray, if you want to come and, and talk to God, if you need to talk to, to me, or you know, if you feel more comfortable with Pastor Clay, I'm not going to be offended. And we're just going to have a time of, of invitation. So you guys would stand, and we will, we'll pray real quick. Dear Lord, you are... You are amazing, and Your Word speaks so much truth into our lives. God, I pray that You would uh, guide us and uh, protect us, Lord. And Lord, in this time of imitation, just uh, speak truth to us uh, through this song in Your holy name. Amen.